0: It's good to be back here I'd like to start thank you I'd like to start by reading Psalm 131 Psalm 131 it's a short psalm I'm not a prophet I'm not a social commentator but whenever something happens in life This has been a tradition, this has been a philosophy in my life that has helped me. I try to go to the Lord. I try not to process things in my mind, first of all. I try not to fill myself up with blogs and opinions. I try to seek the one who created me. Um, And even in in, in light of the situation that happened this week, The Lord led me to Psalm 131. As I said, I'm not a prophet. This is God's Word for me. This may not be God's Word for you, but maybe it'll be of help to somebody. Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child rests against his mother, so my soul is like a weaned child within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. As I was thinking about these words, I too can agree with the psalmist, I can't fathom what things like this that could happen. It's something that's beyond all my comprehension. It's too difficult for me to understand. It's too difficult for me to understand how there could be things that are fostered and fester in somebody so young and happen in the 21st century I thought our culture would have progressed not feel like it's regressing um, but at the end of the day I can say I just cannot fathom it and when you can't fathom things and you can't understand things it's, diff- it's easy to get worked up it's easy to get agitated it's easy to throw up your hands in despair and discouragement. And that's why the psalm is good for me because it says, Surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child who rests against his mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. A weaned child is a child that has no longer needs the mother for milk. When you're weaning a child is when you're trying to get the child not to depend on the mother for milk anymore. So the picture being drawn here is a child who has been weaned, who goes to the, ch- to the mother now, not for milk, but goes to the mother for rest and solace and security and comfort. This is a child who doesn't need the father to provide all of its needs, or the mother to provide its needs anymore. It just wants to be with the mother. That's the wean child. And the psalmist says here, yeah, I've composed and quieted my soul like a wean child. I'm not against, just so that it's clear, I'm not against all kinds of social act- activity that might happen I'm from a country in India where people marched in the streets and got me freedom. I'm a beneficiary of that in India. And I live here in America now and my children are growing up in America where other people too marched in the streets and were locked up and put in jail and even lost their lives because they stood up against things that were wrong. So I'm definitely a beneficiary of both of those and it's not my place to say what should be done from a social standpoint, that's not my role, that's not my gifting. but in terms of all of our hearts as Christians, I can go to God's Word. And my heart, I want it to be qui- composed and quieted. And I, the world will tell you to compose and quiet your heart by meditating or deep breathing exercises or yoga and other things like that. But that's not the source. Dear Christian, that's not the source. It won't get you there. The source is the Lord. The Lord must be to me like the mother is to a wean child. That's who the Lord must become to me. And then I can rest and then I must keep going back and composing myself and quietening my soul. Just like a child, a wean child is with its mother. And I trust in the Lord. Leaning in the everlasting arms as we sang. His arms are wonderful everlasting arms on which to lean on. And I trust in Him. I don't have to fear evil because evil never has the last word. Not with the God that I have. And I have to believe that and I have to lean on Him. Not on it. And that's the whole purpose of my my talk here today. I titled my talk God Must Be a Real Father to Us. Because I fear that there are There's a danger, there's a difference between the world and the church, and the world and the church disagree about what truth is. The world says this is truth, and the church says this is truth. And so we understand that there's a difference. 1 John chapter 3 says, The world does not know us because the world did not know Him. There's a fundamental difference between the world out there and us. But there's a more subtle difference, and I fear a more dangerous difference, between us in the church. And the difference is some of us, or maybe all of us, claim to know the truth. But some of us, only only some of us, know the person who is truth. And know the truth as a person, not a set of facts. And don't lean on a set of ideas in hard time, but lean on a person in hard time. And so the purpose of my message here today was, in light of Father's Day, was to say that God must be a real Father to us. Turn with me to John chapter 16. I got this thought from this little verse here in John chapter 16. And it's a remarkable verse if you think about it. If you think about what this verse is saying and who said it. It's a remarkable verse. John chapter 16 verse 25. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. Jesus is saying this to his disciples who had been walking and listening to him for three and a half years. This is what Jesus says to them. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, in parables, in a shadow, in an allegory. But an hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but will tell you clearly about the Father. A lot of our understanding, a lot of our theologies can be empty rhetoric. I know because it was true in my life. Even the truths that God is a father, even the truths that Jesus died for my sins was more and more empty rhetoric when I was faced with the storms of life and the tragedies of life that hit my friends and hit my family and the disruptions that affected my life it felt more and more like empty rhetoric and if it is true about jesus if we really believe this is true that all that jesus had spoken these things that jesus had spoken to the disciples jesus was saying you know all that i've spoken to you it's all been in parables i've not been able to speak plainly to you but the day is coming and hour is coming when i will be able to speak plainly to you if it is true then it is definitely possible today and true today that we can read the words of Jesus and it can just become, it just can be figurative. It can just be theory. But Jesus said, a day is coming when I will speak to you plainly about the Father. So what's the difference between speaking figuratively about the Father and speaking plainly about the Father? Here's how I would describe it. Is God like a father to me? Or is God my father? It's, not a simple, it's a simple question, I think. But I think it takes thought. If I were to ask you, if I were to ask Jesus, who's your dad? Who would be the first person that came into his head? If I were to ask you, Who's your dad? Who's the first person who comes into your head? And I know that we sit in the culture today and I know we sit in a time when even the word father can have different meanings. It could be a wonderful word and it can be a loaded word. It could be a word of, that we cherish because it, we cherish the person who is our father or it could be something that brings up a lot of pain because our father was not present but absent. He abused us rather than attending to us. And He neglected us rather than caring for us. That is the reality and it's becoming unfortunately more and more common, sadly. That that is the definition or that's the perception of more and more people when they think of Father. And so when I think of God as being a Father, I can say, God, I'm going to think of you in figurative language, in a picture. And the picture that comes to my mind is my Father. And that can bring up more pain. I had a lady told me, how am I supposed to treat God as a father when every father figure in my life has hurt me or abused me? This is, this is the way out for all such people. And it's the way out for all of us. God must go from being like a father to us. God must go from being like my father was to me. He must go from that to being God is my father that more and more instinctively what comes out of us that when we are tossed around and when we're shaken we go to our father just like a child goes to its father it doesn't when i give him the mortgage bill the child doesn't go scrambling around with a bucket to you all of you saying please help i need to pay my mortgage my child comes to me and says dad there's some mail for you it's a mortgage please pay it because this child knows who its father is and I think you understand the difference you know when you're treating God like your dad and the one who came to explain God as a dad is Jesus and he came to reveal God as a dad is Jesus he turned with me to John chapter 1 verse 18. John chapter 1 verse 18. No one, John chapter 1 verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. Out of the word for bosom is lap. You know where Jesus was? on God's lap That's what it says here none, none of us had seen God it's very important for us to understand this when God needed somebody to explain or reveal him as a father he didn't send a speaker he didn't give you a sermon series he didn't give you a set of YouTube videos he didn't give you a degree you got to go get in some Bible school that was not his solution he has sent so many prophets from the beginning of time all who spoke his word but when when it came to revealing God as a father he sent somebody who was in his lap the whole time and such a person is the one who can reveal God as a father when we are seeking to be a church when we are seeking to be Christians it's so easy for us to go to look for somebody who's got a sermon series or somebody who's a gifted person or a person who's eloquent. And that's how the world thinks. And so we look at the people who are accomplished in this world, people who made it to be somebody in this world. And unfortunately, this part of the world is full of such people. This world, this part of the world, Silicon Valley, attracts a lot of highly intelligent, smart people. And among the highly intelligent, smart people, there are highly intelligent, smart, accomplished Christians who have made millions and billions and have accomplished a lot. And the danger is, if you give them eloquence, and if they have eloquence and they can study the book like a text, like Shakespeare, they become very dangerous because they explain god like a father but there's a difference between that and somebody who comes born in a cowshed among cows not calling himself anybody special but just the son of man son of a claimed to be a son of a carpenter grew up in nazareth where nothing good came out of it but spoke with authority That all the Bible scholars never had. And the reason he spoke with authority was because he came from the lap of the Father. That's what gave him authority. That's what gives us authority today too. Is anybody who comes from the lap of God. That must be dear brothers and sisters your default position. That should be your home. The picture I can think of is like a rubber band, we're like rubber bands that are stretched. We go eight to ten hours to work, we take care of dirty diapers and dirty dishes and we're stretched into the kitchen, into the bedrooms and we have to take care of bills and we have to clean houses and all kinds of things and we're stretched. But how do you know what secures a rubber band? What happens when it's released? It goes back to its resting place. And if when you are stretched, yes, you must go to work, yes, you must pay your bills, you must take care of your family, that's critical. And you get stretched into the things of this earth. But if we are truly in the lap of God, where would we return when we're no longer stretched? Where do we return to when we don't have to when we've taken care of all the bills and we've put in our 8 to 10 hours or 12 hours or whatever it is at work that we've put in maybe when you're going to sleep maybe right before you go to sleep maybe in the morning when you just wake up that's the resting position before you turn on your phone or after you've turned off your phone do you rest on the lap of God is that your resting place Otherwise you won't have authority in your life. You'll be shaken by the things of this world that will shake us. And it's only going to get worse. As God wraps up the story of this earth and takes us back to Him, it'll get worse. But those who will stand strong like an oak tree will be the ones whose lives, default life, is in the lap of God. And no matter what stretches us in this life, we must go back to being stretched. We must recognize to be very, we must judge ourselves very clearly. Because, you, you know, there are, there are probably over a billion people who call God their father. Over a billion people call God father, I think. Because all the Catholics are taught to pray the Lord's Prayer. And when you go to confession, the priest will say, say if you confess your sins, they'll probably say, say three Hail Marys and five Our Fathers. They're repeating it. We're re- repeating it. We're talking. We know. We, I've taught my children to pray the Lord's Prayer. We're saying our Father who is in, in heaven. Do you think all billion of us are treating God as if we're our Father? I don't think so. I look at my own life and I see what a ways I have to go in actually treating God like He is my dad. You know, my daughter is five and she loves to be, act like she's a princess and dress up and all of those things. And I think that's probably common. All of, uh, we are born with this wanting to have significance, and significance comes by being ruler <laughs> and being at the top. And we're the special people in all of us. So my daughter got it from me and from Adam and all of that things. And there, there's in us to be that special person, the prettiest person, the nicest clothes, the princess, the fancy of the king. And that can be true about us. I'm sure a lot of young girls would love to be the daughter of... They can walk around saying, My father is the President of the United States. My six-year-old will say, I'm, my, I'm the father, my father is a king. And I, we'd laugh at her and say, That's really silly. But there are two girls in the United States who walk around and say, My dad is the President of the United, of the United States. And they're not playing around. They don't need to dress up. They don't need to carry their dad's business card anywhere they go. Their father is the President of the United States. They don't need to prove it to anybody, but there's, I'm sure, a confidence that is in them that we cannot understand because their father is the President of the United States. Now we read this book that is called Our Operating Manual and it says that our father is the creator of the universe. Let's compare President of the United States and creator of the universe. Creator of the universe, it says, holds the whole earth in his little arm. And I say, that's my father. If I look at the president's two daughters, I say, look, what a confidence she must, they must have as they walk around in life. Just that security and confidence. My dad's the most powerful man in the United States. And we've been given a gift. When God said... What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. The world does not know us because the world did not know Him as a Father. But what's our excuse? What manner of love, dear brother and sister, who call yourself a son of God or a daughter of God, what manner of love God has called you, and this is the greatest way He could have told you He loves you. He says, you're my son and you're my daughter. Amen. And we need to appropriate it. We need to make it personal. That God is my Father. And there's no amount of words, I don't think, I don't, God's not definitely not equipped me with the eloquence, but I don't think it comes down to words because I, I look at Jesus and He said, I've been speaking to you for three and a half years. I still haven't been able to tell you that God is my Father. And you look at Mark, I just want to show you, it's the life of Jesus that demonstrated that God was His Father, not the words. It was His life. You know, He always called God Father. He never called Him Yehovah or Elohim or all these other Hebrew words that people think are very fancy. God didn't, Jesus didn't try to prove Himself as being holy. He just said, He's my Father. I don't need to call Him anything special. The only time He didn't call God Father was when He was on the cross. And our sins, your and my sins were put on Him. Not for no fault of his own, but because he loved us so much, that's the only time he said, my God, my God. When we are frustrated, we go past Father and we just call him God. What, what are you thinking? God, what's wrong? Maybe start by saying, my God. And God says, you don't even have to ever do that because, I've, because of the power of the blood that we sang about. You never have to worry about your sins anymore if you come in Christ. There's wonder-working power in the blood. So you can always call God Father. What happens when things get really bad? What happens when things go from bad to worse? Jesus is our example too. Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, we see when things got really bad for Jesus in a way that it'll never get this bad from us where Jesus was facing the thought that the Father was going to separate Him. Imagine this, dear family. This man had lived for, this God had lived in all eternity on the lap of the Father. That's where He came from. John chapter 1 showed you that. And he came from the lap of God and he came down to this earth, but in spiritual reality, he was still in the lap of God. That was the only existence he knew, was in the lap of the Father. And now, in Gethsemane, in Mark chapter 14, what we're going to read about, he's facing the reality that in order to save you and me, he needs to be separated from that default position. The only place he ever knew is home. Not for five years, not for 50 years, for all eternity. Because the only place he knew home was the Father's lap. And now the Lord was saying, you're going to have to leave that place. He came down to the earth, but he was still spiritually in the Father's lap. He always was seated in the heavenlies with with the Father. But now he was facing something we never have to face if we are in Christ. We can approach boldly the throne of grace always because of Christ. But what Jesus had to do to get us there was he needed to be separated from the lap of God. And it says in verse 34, when in Gethsemane he says, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. He almost felt like he was going to die right then. And it says in verse 35, Mark 14, 35, he went a little beyond them and he fell to the ground and he began to pray. This is not some pious kneeling to the ground because it's the right thing to do. He was just, couldn't bear the weight. Of the thought that he was going to have to be separated from the lap of God. And he fell to the ground. And when he, what happens when you're feeling such weight. That you just fall to the ground because your knees are too weak. And you're feeling like you're going to about to die. What do you do then? Look at your example in verse 36. He starts off by saying. Abba. It's the only time. In the Bible, that Jesus used the word Abba. He always called God Father. He always talked to God, Father, I thank thee, this and that. But here, when the things got really bad, he pressed in even closer to God being a father. And Abba is that cry of, Daddy. How unlike us that is. When things get worse, we draw further away from God and we have greater expectations of God God you must fix this God you must do this God how could you let this happen to me and on and on and here you see the example of Jesus he who came from the lap of God saying when you press me even further and when you squeeze me to the point of death my response is going to be daddy help me I used to think faith was for strong people And when I thought of men of faith, the hall of fame in Hebrews chapter 11, I thought of these big, strong, impressive people. But then I studied the life of Jesus and I saw what faith is in the Bible and faith is for weak people, weak people who call out daddy, weak people who have a strong father, weak people like my daughter, five-year-old, when you hand her the mortgage bill who don't try to scrounge around trying to collect pennies to pay the mortgage bill but with full confidence gives me the bill and say daddy you got this. How is it in your life? What will people say when they look at your life? Will they say that this is a man who says he has a father or will they say God is his father? What will they say when they look at the way you idolize your career or you run after money or you don't want to forgive somebody or you still get angry and spout out at your spouse or when you still have uncontrolled eyes where you undress women or you still have that pornography habit? What will the world say? Will they laugh at you? Yeah, you think your dad is the president of the United States, but I know better. Yeah, you say your dad is the creator of the universe. But I see you when a mosquito comes and bites you. You go flailing around. What are you going to do when you face lions? We need to go from God being a theory to being our father. Family, I'm not speaking theory. I last spoke here three and a half years ago. I'm a different man today. I knew God as a father three and a half years ago, but it's become so much more real to me now. I hope it's true but your life too. Look at your last three years. Can you say that you know God more and more like an actual father? That he's brought you more rest? That it's getting more and more mature like a wine matures? That you're, becoming to, you're getting to know God as a father? That the world, the things of this world, doesn't rock you quite as much. When jobs are in jeopardy, it doesn't rock you quite as much. When children get sick, it doesn't rock you quite as much. When the world is getting worse and worse, it doesn't rock you quite as much. Because you know who your dad is. And you've lived in the daily reality of who your dad is. With all the little mosquitoes that come to try to bite you, that tells you God is not your father, you've been faithful to swat it off. That now you're ready to deal with angry dogs and maybe one day fierce lions because you've been faithful with the mosquitoes. Dear brother, dear sister, be faithful in the little trials of life that are like mosquito bites. Then, if he who is faithful who is little will be able to be faithful in much. You'll be able to encourage other people to also look at God as your father. When they say, who is this father? Who is this God who is the father? You can say, come and see. Come and look at the way I treat my wife. Come and see the way I look at my children when they've got sicknesses. Come and look at me when I deal with a job that's insecure. Come and look at me. Come and see. Come and live with me. Come and live around and hang out. And you'll watch and you'll see that this is not, God is not just a theoretical father. He, I treat him like he's my dad. Now what happens when we are in the father's lap? I want to give you two words. One word is wonder. What happens when you're sitting on the lap of the creator of the universe? Is it not wonder? Just imagine, people go up to the moon and see the earth and they're filled with wonder. Have you seen pictures of the earth from the moon? Wondrous. Now just imagine how you'd see all of creation when you're sitting on God's lap. It'll be awesome wonder. That's what that meaning of that song is. I was thinking of that when we sang, our God is awesome. Where are you seated when you sing that song? It'll change everything. We'll sing like childish people singing God is awesome when we're standing on this earth and trying to pretend that God is awesome. But come up higher, dear brother and sister, and sit on the Father's lap, and it will be an effortless. God is awesome. And God wants us to be seated in the heavenlies on the lap of God and say, God, You're awesome. And when we sit on the lap of God, what God shows us first, and what we see most of all, is His love. It's not His creation. It's not the sunsets. It's not the beauty of creation. It's His love. It's His love towards us. It's His love towards us. Because God is love. God is not beautiful sunsets. God is not wonderful creation. God is love. And so when I sit on the lap of love, the thing that fills me with wonder is His love towards me. I see His love in His Son, Jesus Christ. And the other thing I'm filled with is, in, is with holy soberness. Because you know the things that are closest to the throne? It's the angels who are crying, holy, 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 holy. That's what's closest to the throne. So if I'm inviting you to go all the way into the lap of God, you know what you're going to be hearing a lot. Right after love, right after is I love you, which is what God is. He'll be telling you, I love you. You know what He's going to be telling? You'll be hearing from the angels. Holy, 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 holy. Non-stop. And if you turn right next to the thing, you'll see a lamb as if slain, it says in Revelation chapter 5. That is a lamb as if slain almost looks like the blood is still there. It's almost like the blood is oozing out still from the lamb. And who is this lamb? It's the Son of God. It's this man you say with such reverence. That man Jesus, that God-man Jesus. He's standing right there as if slain. And how can you not be filled with soberness when you know the reason why He's standing there as if slain is because of you. It's because of that blood that was shed that's given you the right to sit on the lap of love. And the stereo effect of the angels crying, holy, 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 holy. And the Lamb as if slain saying, look at me. You'll get down from that lap of love and you'll be holy you'll treat holiness in a completely different standard altogether. It won't be a command. That's the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. In the old covenant, people stood at the bottom of Mount Sinai and saw a holy God at the top of Mount Sinai and God said, Be holy. Family, this is very important. In the old covenant, God stood at the bottom of Mount Sinai. Sorry, the people stood at the bottom of Mount Sinai and looked up at a holy God and God said, Be holy like I'm holy. Now God says, come on up, sit on my lap, and hear the angels saying you're holy. It's a completely different viewpoint from which we treat the same holiness of God. Because our position changes everything. And a position of being so loved by God makes us want to be holy. And wants to make us want to treat what He cares as important, becomes important to us. I sit so close to him that I hear when his heart beats faster from joy. I sit on his lap that I feel the warmth of his tears, that they fall down. When he's sad, he's never angry at his children. His wrath was put on Jesus Christ and that's done away with. But when we come in Christ, God's never angry at us. But he's sad when we put our selfish wills above his When we choose our selfish ways over Him. What's the solution? To get rid of your selfish ways. Go sit on the lap of God. The first thing God always tells me when I sit on His lap is, I say, Dad, I got so many things I got to tell you. I got my job, I got my children. He's like, slow down, time out, time out, time out. Slow down, I want to tell you something. Before you tell me all your problems, let me just tell you something. I love you. That's the first thing He tells me. I don't know what He tells you. Why would you do this? Here you come again. What's what's your name? Maybe that's all the things he's telling you. I'll tell you what my God tells me. I love you. Now, what's your problem? He says, look, somebody, before all you take care of your problems, just take it in. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is His name. Take that in. Just take that in. I know you've got your daily bread I need to help you with. I know you've got your temptations and the forgiveness that you need to help with before you get there, who am I? I'm your father. Take in the fact that I'm holy. The one thing I didn't tell you is how do we get to know God as a father? We look at Jesus. But Jesus in John chapter 16 verse 25 said, I've spoken to you for three and a half years. I came and lived with you. But if you look in John chapter 16 verse 25, he says something interesting. He says, That an hour is coming. Do you really believe that? That after three and a half years of walking with Jesus, if Jesus was standing right next to you, and you were to spend three and a half years with Jesus, you would still not know the Father plainly. But He said an hour is coming. And that hour came to the disciples when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And the Holy Spirit came to live inside of them. Now there's a great debate about the Holy Spirit in the sense of and the baptism of the Holy Spirit of whether you receive the Holy Spirit when you're first born again, because you have to be born of the Spirit, or if there's such a thing as after that subsequent fillings or subsequent baptisms. It's 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 a theology that has separated many churches and all of that. I have my own views about that and I have my own experiences. To also back up my views on that. But I just want to point you with one little story in Mark chapter 8. I'm not here to debate or give clarity on that, point of, on that theology. But I want to give you a little story that can give you the way forward in knowing God as a father. <clears throat> and knowing who God is. And living with God. And it's a little story in Mark chapter 8 verse 22. And I'll end with this. In Mark chapter 8, verse 22, it says that Jesus and the disciples came to Bethsaida, verse 22, and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out to the village, and after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he said, Do you see anything? Now remember who touched his eyes. Who is it? Jesus. Jesus touched this man's eyes and said, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, for I see them like trees walking around and again he laid his hands on his eyes and this time the man looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly He, he was able to see everything plainly and on either side of this story there are two questions that Jesus asked the disciples verse 21 he was saying to them do you not understand he posed them with that question and then he never gave them the answer he was talking do you not know who how I multiplied bread. Why are you worried about these things? And he says, do you not understand? But he left that question hanging out there. Then you've got this little story where Jesus almost, it seems like, didn't have the power to heal this person once. He needed to touch him a second time. And then right after that, you have another question that Jesus asks in verse 27, verse 28, 29. And again, he asks the disciples another question. Who do you say that I am? And there's this story in between these two questions. Do you not understand? Who, who am I? Who am I to you? And this story is not a story about Jesus being limited in his power. I believe the miracles of Jesus were also a parable. And Jesus was trying to instruct something to the disciples through this story. And here's what I think about it when it comes to knowing God as a father. It's a very simple point I'm trying to make. Jesus says, when you ask me for the Holy Spirit, I'll give him to you. It's like Jesus touching you. And you say, Lord, I'm blind. I don't see you as a father. And and you ask Jesus to touch you. Now when he touches you, when you say, Lord, you said you'll give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. When he touches you, you have to then say, God's going to ask you, what do you see? And you have to be honest about what you see. Imagine if this blind man had said, I think I see great. Thank you very much, Jesus. I'm out of here. Thank you for healing me. You're the healer, so I'm going to walk away. He'd a walked in a way seeing men walking around like trees. Is that the reality you want? And I think the way I've applied it in my life is, Lord, you said an hour is coming when you will talk to me plainly about God being a father. That it won't be like God is like my father, that God will become my father. But I look at my life and God is not my father in every situation. You need to touch me. You need to fill me with your Holy Spirit again. You need to fill me. Not just birth me. You need to fill me. I need a drenching. I need an immersion. I need to plunge into the ocean of your Holy Spirit. And, and He does that. It does, I don't need to look for an experience. I just need to trust the confidence of His Word. that when He promises to do it, and I ask in simple, hungry faith, He'll do it to me. He'll give me the Holy Spirit. But when He gives me the Holy Spirit, I then go and live normal life. And I say that I still don't see God as a father. I still don't act as if God is my father. What should I do? I should be honest. And say, Lord, I still see men walking around like trees. I know it's been the 50th time. I know it's been the 500th time. But I'm still seeing men. It's a little better than it was five years ago. But I'm still not seeing you for who you really are. I'm not seeing you as a father. That when these situations happen in life, I get rocked. But it didn't rock you. When the boat was stormed, you were, it was full of stormy waves. You were asleep. Lord, I'm not there yet. I need the Holy Spirit again. Family, the Jesus said, an hour is coming. No amount of teaching, no amount of sermons can convince you that God is your Father. Only the Holy Spirit is coming. Only the Holy Spirit is able to do that. And my suggestion to every one of you is keep seeking Him for repeated fillings. It's like a cup of water. Do you just need one cup of water to live the rest of your life? Did you drink some water this morning? You're done needing water for the rest of your life? Family, treat God and the Holy Spirit that way. Let us use our metric. Lord, I want to know You as a father. I want to say to the devil and the whole of creation, when somebody asks me, who's your dad? I'm going to have an answer. All of us can have a happy Father's Day then in that way. God May God bless you. Let's bow our heads and close in prayer.